All right, well, let's head into our message today. We're in our last, last week of a four-week topical series on the area of sight, learning how to see God, ourselves, the world, and others rightly. And over the course of that series, we've kind of talked about how we see God. We said that we need to reimagine the way that we see God. We have to construct a new thought because God is better than he, we think he is. He's just better and bigger than we think he is. Uh, if God had no beginning and he has no end, it might be possible that he is outside of our constructs in our minds to, to perceive him fully. And so we would be better served believing and thinking about God as better and bigger than what we can imagine, that God is better at grace-giving than we think he is, that he's better at love than we think he is, he's better at forgiveness, he's better at mercy, he's better at judgment, he's better at everything in our lives, simply because he is God. And because of that understanding, it would seem right that we would think lower of ourselves, not in like having worse self-esteem or worth or self-worth, but in lower in the way that we, in our knowledge and our abilities to think that we can put this all together, lower in our thoughts that we know what's best for us. Not saying that we're idiots, but because God is so much better than us, he's better to serve to handle those perspectives or perspectives and thoughts. And so God is huge and he has a different perspective on you than what you probably have on yourself. God sees us at our worst. He sees us in our sin. He sees us in, in our disobedience. But in Christ, when we have faith in Christ, God sees us very differently, probably differently than you do. In Christ, God sees us as acceptable. He sees us as valuable. He sees us as lovable, as capable, as forgivable. In Christ, we are adopted sons and daughters by faith in Christ. Your value and your identity is given to you by your creator. It doesn't matter what you think of yourself, and it doesn't matter what somebody else thinks of you. Your worth and value was predetermined by Christ, and he has spoken all of those things to you. Don't find your identity in this world. But yet, living out those values that we talked about, lovable, capable, acceptable, valuable, forgivable, those are hard, especially with our knowledge that we live in a broken world. A broken world that is hostile to the things of God. And so we as Christians, we have this very real Holy Spirit that guides us, directs us, moves us towards the things of Christ. But what can often feel like tension in our life is living in a world that's not neutral. Like this is a, not a neutral world. This world bends towards evil and brokenness. And so as a believer, we have this tension in our lives of wanting to do the things of God, but yet living and experiencing a world in which it is hostile to those things. And so that's why it's so important for you and I as Christians to remember that this world is not your home. This is not your home. We certainly have a earthly citizenship, right? Most of us, if not all of us, are citizens of the United States of America. And in that citizenship, you have duties and responsibilities. We broke those down last week. As a Christian, my responsibility as a citizen of this globe is to build and tend, to multiply and occupy, and to bless and flourish the communities that we live in. And we should never let that citizenship outweigh our number one priority our citizenship in heaven, which is of much grander circumstances or circum 
Yeah, I'm going to save it there. It's a much grander idea than our citizenship in heaven. We are to imitate Christ, walk with Christ. We are to renew and challenge our minds and our thoughts with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And we are to anticipate and hope in a Savior that is to come and restore all things. Whether he comes here or we meet him, we can endure all the things of this world because of our hope in Christ. And so today, we turn our attentions to how we view others. How do we, as people of faith, how do we accurately view others that accounts for our faith in Christ? Does God want us to see people differently than maybe this world does? And I don't know if there could be a timelier message than this one. We are just chaotic in the way that we view people. Our, our polarity and our haste towards one another is ridiculous. We see them versus us. We need to view people differently. Our political sphere whips us up into fear, and it causes us to see people differently. And so, friends, just from me, like, if you can't handle politics, much like somebody who can't handle alcohol, Get away from it. If it's going to rob you of a godly perspective in your life, maybe you need to have less of it in your life. And so today, we really want to push and challenge our thoughts on how we see others. And to do that, we're going to have a compare and contrast from how the world wants to cultivate us to see others versus what the gospel compels me to see others as. And so that's where we want to walk through today. And so I'm going to ask you this. Would you join me? Would you just be here and join me? Would you ask God to open up your hearts that you might receive his truth today, that you might just allow God to speak to you wherever you're at right now, that he might challenge your perspective. He is immensely greater to deal with it than you are. And so what is it that the world cultivates in us? What does it bring into us and how we view other people? Well, we're going to talk about four things today. Number one, the world kind of creates this lens in which we view everybody as competition. Everybody's kind of, we're competing against everybody in some ways. Now, I grew up in a house with an older brother, and there always was a certain level of competition in our house. Maybe you who have siblings kind of understand that. My brother and I competed about everything from who could make the, to the car first to who could eat the most Taco Bell. We literally competed about Taco Bell eating. Uh, and then I reveled, I remember reveling in the fact uh, my brother said the dumbest phrase a big brother could absolutely say. He said, you will never be bigger or stronger than I am. And I loved making him eat those words. He was here for service, uh, and he doesn't remember that conversation, but I'm telling you, the little brother remembers that conversation, big brothers, okay? And we will work towards that. Now, I, I am bigger and strong. He's a little, I'm not a big guy. He's a little smaller, so I called him small. And he, he didn't like that either. So we're working through some things still. <laughs> Competition is, is an area that there can be some purpose to it. It can have some fun with it. But it's dysfunctional when we use it as the lens in our life, whether that's consciously or subconsciously. We most often view other people as measuring sticks to ourselves that I am good or bad based upon that person. We have somebody in mind that we're comparing ourselves to that we want to be better or like. We determine our values and our worth based upon what people are or are not. 
And I'm telling you, that's not what the Lord has for you. My heart breaks um, being in youth ministry for years for, for these precious middle school girls and high school girls who've just been fed this line that your value is about how good you look compared to these people. It's rubbish. It's trash. Your value is not determined by some hormone-infested little girl that looks better than you. You're not. Your value has been determined by your creator. And, and this is what we do in our lives. We just, I don't have what they have, and so I'm going to find a way to get it. I need what they need have so I can look that good. But that's not what the Lord has for us. That's not what God wants for you. We have one standard in this life, Christ. That's the only one we are to look towards to modify our example. Christ is who we look for. He has already predetermined your value and your identity. You can't do anything about it, and neither can anybody in this world speak into that. God spoke some things about you that are true of you no matter what you think. And so we are to seek the things that he seeks in our own journeys that are unique to you in his timing because of his love and his mercy and his grace. Because what is the answer? What the answer is not is to live your life to try to compare yourself to a creation that is as flawed as you are. You may not be able to see those flaws in those other people, but let me tell you, without a doubt, they are flawed. The other thing the world kind of cultivates in us is that people are nuisances. Like, maybe you've said this phrase before, if my life would be better if it weren't for people. Like, maybe you've never spoken that out loud, but maybe you believed it, said it under your breath, man, my life would be better if I didn't have to deal with these people around here. We just kind of have this attitude that people just get in the way of us getting the things that we want and the things that we desire. If, if, I'd be much better off if Billy would just get his stuff together. If my mom didn't package the kind of junk that she had in my life when I was being raised, my life would be much better off. People are just, they get in our way. Now, there is no doubt that other people create chaos in our lives. But listen, here's the caveat. You do too. There's not one of you in this room that doesn't cause some sort of chaos in somebody else's life. And here's an even truth, more truthful reality. You cause more junk in your life than anybody else. You create more chaos in your life than anybody else. And so here's a, a principle that's guiding in my life. Wherever you are, there you are. Wherever you are, there you are. And you're like, thanks, Steve. That's rocket science. Listen, there is not a place that you're going to go where you're not going to find a sinner looking at the mirror, in the mirror right back at you. There's not a place that you're going to run where sin doesn't exist because you're there. I watch people move from chaos and crisis, chaos and crisis, chaos and crisis. They say, well, they did it, they did it. This circumstance, this. we would be better served, friends, as Christians to say, Lord, what is it in me that you want to change, Lord? What is it in me that you're trying to move instead of saying, well, if only they didn't do this. We own our stuff as Christians, and we don't play the blame game, but through Christ, we walk, we move. The other thing that the world cultivates is this idea of, of capital, capital with an O, capital. Uh, this idea that, that people are chips to be used, 
People are things to invest in and withdraw from, that they are means to our ends, which means this, that that they're going to help us get ahead in life at their cost. I've done a a lot of fundraising in my life, and I remember in in one of these meetings about how to fundraise, fundraise, this, this guy said, well, you need to build relationships with people who have the resources to fund your money. And I remember pushing back on that to say, so you want me to build friendships with people who have money to fund me? To which they responded, well, you value the friendship first. I mean, do I? I mean, do I really, or do I just value them because of what they could give me? I thought that was just semantics. Uh, we would still view them as, as, as uh, objects that bring blessing instead of people that need to be loved. An anonymous person once said this, I love this quote, people were created to be loved and things were created to be used. The problem with this world is that things are being loved and people are being used. Isn't that true? It's a profound statement, I think. Our Lord has called us to something different. He commands us to love God and to love others. Every individual is their own story, their own end that require our unique presence and love for them as an individual without thought of what we can get back out of it. And the last thing that we know the world cultivates in us is this thought of completion. If I was gonna describe this, I'll quote a movie. There's a movie called Jerry Maguire. I've never seen it, but I can quote about any movie, no matter if I've seen it or not. In that movie, Tom Cruise's character says like, you complete me. Remember that, you know that line, you complete me? And what does she say back? Stop. You had me at hello. Like the sappiest line in all of the movies. That is just a great example of this kind of thought process completion. We have been cultivated to believe that there are other people that are out there that are means to, uh, for us to complete our own selves, that there are people that will fill our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities, our cracks. They will fit so well with us, so succinctly, that they'll fill all of those gaps, and then boom, presto, I'm happy, my life is good. This other, you complete me. And we just, no. You guys know it doesn't work that way. That's destructive. You can't even, you can't fix you. How do you think somebody else who can't fix themselves is going to fix you? Only Christ can fix what's wrong with us. You're not whole. How do you think somebody who who else else is not whole is going to make you whole? No, only Christ makes us whole. I'm pretty confident, and I don't have any statistics behind this, so take it with that in mind. I think the increasing rate of divorce in our culture has, has a lot to do with this, that we burden people with this idea that you are going to be what makes me happy in life. That's not a burden for people. That's a burden we share with Christ who renews us and brings us joy and contentment with him. And that's better than happiness. I've said this in every wedding I've done. Marriage isn't meant to make you happy. It was defined and established to make you holy. And as we grow towards our relationship with God, we grow towards each other. And it's important to understand that distinction. Nobody on this earth will complete you. Only Christ can. And so those are just 
some of the ways that the world cultivates different ideas in us towards other people. That's a list. Maybe you have different lists, but you're not on stage. i got to make the list up here. So what is it if the Lord calls us to renew our minds? The Word says that, that we need to renew our minds through the Spirit of God, through His Word. What does He want to renew that with? Well, we really want to examine what the gospel compels us to see others as. And there's going to be four things in there that really help us to view people differently. We should view people differently because of the cross, because of Christ, because of the gospel. And these things are true of others, but they're also true of you. Everyone in you in here, whether you want to admit it to or not, will want everybody else in this room to see you as these things. And so here's the first common in creation. We share the same creator. Genesis 1, verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Every one of us in here had the same start, the same beginning. Not one of you was created in some sort of vacuum where God said, Well, especially this guy. I'm going to make him good. Not one of us. We had the same start, the same beginning, but we also share the same position today. In Romans 3, it says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us, you and I, share the same position. We are all fallen. We are short of the glory of God. We have chosen our own way rather than God's. And the only way for you and I to change that position in front of a right, holy, and just God is faith in Christ. Your effort can't change that. Your achievements can't change that. Your wealth can't change it. Only Christ can change your position to the hope and the life and the sacrifice of Christ. The fact that you have more money is irrelevant. The fact that you have had better achievements is irrelevant. The fact that your house might be bigger is irrelevant. The fact that you might have had a really poor dad growing up is irrelevant to your position as a sinner in need of grace. We all need it. We all are in the same position. Nothing on this earth, friends, nothing on this earth is of real substance outside of grace through faith. Nothing on this earth matters. You can have all the money in the world, but if you do not have faith, you have nothing. You can have all the toys that this world wants to give to you, but if you do not have faith, you have nothing. But if you have faith and you have nothing, the gospel says you have everything. And so what could there be in our lives that would make us better than anyone else? Knowing our beginning and our position, nothing. There is nothing that elevates you and I over somebody else. The only thing that changes the way that Christ sees you, that God sees you, is faith. Faith is the only thing that makes God see you differently. Those who have faith and those who do not have faith. And listen, the word says that your faith is even a gift from God. Why? So you can't do the most human thing in the world, boast in it. Your faith is a gift from God, so nobody would think more of themselves than they ought to. Second thing, is we're all grace-thirsty. Grace-thirsty. Just to reiterate some of what we just said, we all need grace. We are nothing without it. There's no way that we could be right in front of a holy God without it. He gives us grace in droves. 
And that grace is there to drive us to our knees and drive us to the cross and repentance for redemption in our lives. And there cannot be a moment, friends, that we can afford to forget the grace that the Savior has given to us. There's not a moment that we can afford to forget the grace that our Father has given to us. It's more than we deserve. It's more than we deserve. Let it inform the way that we operate with people. God has not given you what you deserve. We deserve wrath and punishment, condemnation. But he's given you the gift of grace through Christ. Could it inform the way that we live our lives with other people? That we might be grace givers ourselves as the Father is. That we might look past offenses and inconsistencies in life because we know that we have a Father who's already given us more grace than we deserve. That we can dole it out to whoever comes our way. Because there is nothing on this earth, nothing on this earth that isn't already met in Jesus. When you understand that Christ fulfills every need of your life, your reality comes to the place where you don't need things from people because your Father has already met those things and you can give grace in the face of people who are inconsistent and offend you. You can lay down your right to have come back to you what you deserve. And you can love them through grace. James 2 says, For judgment is without mercy to the one has shown no mercy. Mercy trumps over judgment. There's a book called Love Kindness. It's by a guy named Barry Corey. And in that book, he talks about this forgotten virtue of kindness within the Christian faith. Kindness is in there, guys. And he talks about how we have become like one of three people. Uh, sometimes we are these people who have a soft core, mushy, and these soft edges. And that's, that's nice. Now, that guy's nice. Scripture doesn't talk about being nice. Like, nicety is not in the word. And then on, if we go this far, we've got people that have a, a firm center, really rigid and really firm Exteriors, a firm inside and a firm outside. And you know people like that. Kind of cruel. But as a Christian, we're called to be somebody with a firm, resolute center that stands on the word of God, that believes by faith in the things that Jesus Christ has done and said for us. But with a soft outside, with edges that are rounded, to receive people by the grace of God. In, in Matthew, Jesus says, whoever receives you receives me and the one who sent me. We want to be receivable to people. And so we can stand for our values, but we can love people with gentleness and respect and listen to people that disagree with us because of the grace that God gave to us. It says this in Colossians 4, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. That's truth, seasoned with truth so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Grace and truth. Remember that balancing thing that we talked about, that grace without truth is deception and truth without grace is just cruel? We balance those things as believers. The other thing the gospel compels to us is this idea that you know, we're unfinished. Guys, we're unfinished. 
in this life. Like in 1 Corinthians, it says, it says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then in glory in heaven I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Can we, can we just embrace the idea that, that people are trying to do the best they can with what they have? We're trying to do the best they can with what they have and that God has them on a journey that's different than your journey. And God may have you in their life, not so you can say, hey, you need to get to where I am, but rather that you would be used by God to say, hey, God wants you to go where he wants you and that you would be an encouragement along the way. You would speak truth, right? Seasoned with salt. As a Christian, we all have to be in this process of dying to self, losing ourselves and our earthly values and replacing them for the, with the things of Christ. We are to die to self. And nowhere in that process do we have permission to stop and say, oh, I look clean enough. And then to turn around and say, you know what, you're not doing it right. That's not acceptable by the gospel. We pursue Christ and we lay the things down in our life that we need to, and we turn around and we encourage our fellow believers to keep walking, to keep moving, even if they look different than you and I. My unfinished stuff looks different than your unfinished stuff. And your unfinished stuff looks different than everybody else's. But if we're pursuing Christ, is the matter at hand. And if we are, we are to seek encouragement for one another not to judge and to weigh down each other you're not the holy spirit you're not good enough you're not smart enough or big enough to change the human heart but rather we live and speak truth in a way that god reveals himself to others who come across our way speaking truth in grace people meet jesus in a new fresh way and it changes their life so we're unfinished and the last one is that we're worthy to be loved. We have to be people as worthy to be loved. Jesus says this, the greatest commandment in John 15. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. There's no fine print under that. You're not going to find anything in between the lines. There's no limitation on who our love should be given to. There's no boundaries Everyone who walks this earth is worthy of our love, whether they receive it and give it back or not. They are worthy of love. Jesus even goes on to say this, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies, even people who despise you. Yes, the Lord says, love them too. No one is off limits to the love that Christ wants to produce in us. Everyone demands our love. Not because we have some emo overt emotional, I love you, but rather because God has said that they have value because he made them. And God loves his creation. And so the gospel compels us something completely different than the world does. That we would see people as common in creation, as grace thirsty, as unfinished as you and I are, and people that are worthy to be loved. And so the bigger 
question is this for you and I is how do we do this? How has my lens changed to see people like that? What happens by having just one priority in our lives? We have one priority, and this is our priority. When we love God most, we will love others best. 100% of the time, true. (laughs) When we love God most, we will love others best. And the reason why we will love others best when we love God most is that love in its purest and, and most, most holy and truest form is found in God. God is love. It's who he is. We love because he first loved us. We give freely to others because we have received freely from him the love from him. And as image bearers, you and I, image bearers of Christ, of God. We are designed to love God and others in a way that speaks to the one who made us. You, image bearer, are to love people that, in a way that speaks true to the character and the nature of the one who made you. And when we put anything else in our lives above God as our supreme love, if we view anything else in our life as more supreme in love instead of God, We have distorted and diseased love. We have devolved it into whatever we wish it to mean for us. And I'm telling you, that is evil. And it's more problematic than you think. This is our world. This is our world and who we are. Everyone loves in a way that seems right to themselves. And inversely, everyone hates in a way that seems right in their own eyes. The word would say that we've become supreme lovers of self, living in the passions of their flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And so it's not hard to understand why there is so much confusion and heartbrokenness and violence in the world, because we live in a state of of you. resulting in much of the horrifying things that we see in the world today. The gospel compels us to go somewhere different. It's a state of him, not a state of you. It compels us to live differently, to view others differently, to love others, to see others as commonly created, grace-thirsty, unfinished, worthy of love, loved and seen differently, not because you could offer, they could offer us of anything, particularly of any substance on this earth, but rather because of what God has done for us. That God has taken all the wrath that was designed for you and I in our sin and our disobedience, and he put it on Christ, and it crushed him. And in his death and his resurrection, he gives you the free gift of grace through faith in Christ that makes you holy and just and right in front of a loving, supreme, holy God. And we choose to be compelled by the gospel because we have to have it. And out of the delight and gratitude in our hearts, we love other people the way that God says that we should value and do and love and be because of what he's done for us. We view people differently. We view God differently. We view ourselves differently and the world differently because of what Christ 
has done for us. And so as we end our time together, we're going to sing this this phenomenal hymn. It was written in 1912 called Be Thou My Vision. Would you make it the prayer of your heart that God would be who you see through? That when you see God himself, when you see the world, when you see yourself, when you see others, that you would have God's vision for them, not your own. Would you make this the prayer of your heart as we sing this together? That God would reveal things into you that need to be changed and altered so that he can love people extraordinary in your life.